right, if you have your Bibles, grab Nehemiah chapter 2. We started in this book last week as we began this series called Thrive, and this is really something I want for every single person that I have the chance to communicate this message to, how to thrive and not just survive. And here is a story about a city of people who are burdened down, who are broke, who are are struggling, they're under oppression, they're in distress because they have no wall. The wall represents security, the wall represents margin, it represents buffer between them and the enemies that want to come and steal everything away that they have. This is such a powerful metaphor for for where we live today, Uh, people who have no financial margin, people who are under distress and burdened down because of the debt and how we've obligated ourselves completely and we just seem to be losing more than we're gaining. We're getting by, but we're not thriving. So Nehemiah, this leader who is the assistant to uh, the king of Persia, who is ruling the world at this time, he's strategically in this place of position, and he begins to pray for his city. And he starts to pray along these lines. This can't stay this way. We've got to make a change. This wall has to be rebuilt. And as he prays that prayer, something happens inside of him where God starts to speak to him about being a part of the solution. There's one thing to pray and ask God to do something, and it's another thing for you to start seeing your part. God, how can you use me as part of the solution? And God loves to show himself strong on behalf of people who have hearts that are loyal to him. And when they're loyal to him and they're listening, God begins to download information and he begins to give them thoughts, thoughts that are not their normal thoughts, thoughts that are not their ways. God began to speak to this man, Nehemiah, about, I want you to do something about this wall. And God had positioned him in just the right place that that when he prayed and when he started to plan, God had supernatural provision right around the corner. There was a day when he was serving the king and he was a cupbearer. His job was to taste all the food and drink the wine ahead of time in case it was poison. And he looked really sad. And the king noticed that. This is not a job that you want to be moody in because it communicates things you're not intending. And the king goes, hey, why are you sad? You don't look well. What's wrong with you? Nehemiah said, oh, king, it's not not anything but this. My heart is broken for my people in Jerusalem, the city of my fathers, when the city lies in ruins and the walls are down. And in that moment, the king says to him this amazing question. He says, well, what's your request? Now think about this, for five months he's been praying, for five months he's been saying, God, do something, God, this can't stay the same, and he begins to plan and think about what could be done, and when his heart is aligned, and when he's made a plan, it's in that moment that God brings supernatural provision. I want you to read, I want to just read a few verses, uh, beginning in verse 5. I prayed to the God of heaven, this is when, when the king said, what do you request? It's like, okay, God, here it is. And in verse 5, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if I found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, personal responsibility, to the city of my fathers, that I may rebuild it. The king said to me, how long will your journey be? When will you return? And Nehemiah had an answer for those questions. He didn't just pray and hope that God would work it out. He prayed And he had a plan. He said, this is how long I'll be gone. And then he proceeded to ask the king, give me letters uh, for the governors of the region that I might pass freely till I come to Judah. And give me letters that I can give to the keeper of the king's forest that he'll give me timber to build the walls and to build even my own house. And he, he had a list in his mind of what he needed to ask for. He had prayed, now he was prepared with the plan. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you, are you hearing the implications here? When we have a problem and there's no wall and we're in distress, God says, start to align your heart, start to pray, but you need to plan. And you need to take personal responsibility and then God will do something supernatural on your behalf. Verse, uh, the last verse, verse eight, and the king granted them to me according to the good hand of God upon me. How many of you want God's good hand to be upon you? That's what I wanna talk about today. I wanna talk about how God supernaturally, when the, when the heart was right and when the plan was in place, God supernaturally provided and a wall that was down for 140 years was built in 52 days supernaturally provided for. God wants to build some supernatural margin into your life when your heart is right and when you put a plan in place. I wanna talk to you today about planning for stability. Are you ready for this? All right, get get something out to write on, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will speak specifically to us personally. I pray a sense of personal responsibility for the situation that we're in. And I also pray for that supernatural uh, download of ideas, the idea of, God, this can't stay this way. What can I do? And how can I be a part of the work you want to do in my life? And may we all leave here with something very specific uh, because it came from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. When they built the houses in our neighborhood, they planted trees in every yard. And they did it all in the same day. This is my neighbor's tree. My neighbor's right here. He'll verify it. Uh, this is... This is Kara and Jeremy's tree. Isn't that a beautiful tree? It is, it's perfect. It's like the perfect tree in their yard right next door to my house. And then on the same day they planted that tree, they planted this tree in my house. This is my tree in the same. <laughs> it's so depressing. His tree is thriving and my tree is barely surviving. I wanted to know why, and I went to figure it out. I dug into the ground around the tree. You know what they did? They left the wire basket around the root ball when they planted it. So his tree had opportunity, and my tree had obstacles. His tree had room to grow. My tree uh, was constricted. There was something under the ground you couldn't see that was holding it back from thriving. It's barely surviving. What a powerful picture of the way so many of us live. We know something's not right. People don't know that we're in debt, but that constricting, uh, that constriction of debt is keeping us from thriving the way that God intends. God wants you to grow. He wants you to thrive. He's given you everything you need for your happiness and for you to thrive, but there's something under the surface uh, that's holding us back. And so last week I began talking to you about this need for financial margin and how we could get ahead and how we could, we could thrive. And, and a lot of people said, well, Darren, I don't even understand really what margin is. I, I think I get it. What is it? So let me just make it really clear. Look at this chart. Across the bottom, uh, the measurement is time. And up the right side or up the left side there is a dollar sign that reckon, uh, that's, that's income. That's the amount of money that you make. And hopefully over time as you've gotten older, that income is increasing from your first job when you were a teenager till today. Now the problem is not that our money hasn't increased. It's just that spending has tracked uh, concurrently with our income. So as we got more money, we kept spending more. More money came in and we bought the bigger house and we bought the bigger car and bought the boat and put the kids in private school and did all the things that more money afforded, but our, our spending was tracking with our income. 
Well, actually, it's worse than that because we obligated ourselves with credit card debt, and we obligated ourselves with bigger mortgage payments, and so on. So now, actually, spending in reality is really beyond income. We're making the minimum payments so we don't realize it, but if we were ever to have all of that called in at the one time, we'd be in trouble because, in truth, spending has exceeded income. So what happens when the natural cycles of life occur when there are downturns and when we have economic difficulty and when they come in and say, I'm sorry, we're downsizing the company or we're giving a 10% uh, reduction to all of the pay and suddenly income drops below uh, or where, where our spending is, then you have a problem. Go to the next slide for me. There you go. When income drops, now suddenly you have a financial crisis. Now, the goal all along we're talking about is that if we could just have margin, if we could have that buffer, that space in between, go to the next one so that they can see it. There you go. That's what we're looking for. We're looking to have space between income and between our spending so that when those downturns do come, as they always do, when the income goes down, one more slide if you would, please, (laughs) there would be buffer, there would be space, there would be breathing room. This is why we want to have margin. So this is what it means when I tell you that we don't really have money problems. We have management problems. We don't have, are you guys okay with me this morning? Is this going to be a tough crowd? Is this going to be a hostile crowd or a good crowd? I just want to know getting in what I got to be ready for. All right, so, so we don't have these money problems. Uh, we, have, we have management problems, and so much drama could be reduced in our life if we just had that, that breathing room. We wouldn't stress out. We wouldn't feel the pressure. And I talked to you last week about three attitudes that we have to have as foundations or three key foundational pillars that we're going to need if we go through this journey. Let me remind you of them. The first one is, is that you don't think like God. God doesn't think like you. He says, my ways are different than your ways. My thoughts are different than, than your thoughts. I I think about financial things differently than you, and so that's what's causing our problem. And so going through this, you're going to hear things that you go, I'm not sure that would work for me, and God would just remind you, hey, my thoughts are different than yours. The second thing that we learned was this, that money management, that the way I manage my money, it is a spiritual indicator that all I'd have to do is look at your bank account or or look at your credit card bill, and I would know instantly where your priorities are, what your focus is, what's important to you, what your values are. I mean, listen, (laughs) I just know, you roll up in your $60,000 car to your apartment, I just know something's wrong. (laughs) It just says something about your values. Um, I had a guy come to me after the service last week selling cars, and he told me that, he was trying to sell this car to this guy, and he realized very quickly that this Lincoln Town Car Cartier, this top-of-the-line Lincoln, there's no way this guy could afford it. And so he tells the guy, he says, listen, I'm sorry, I don't think you can afford this car. The guy got upset and says, I will have this car. I'll have this car if it means I have to lose my house. And the guy, the salesman goes, well, that's crazy. Why would you do that? And the guy says, well, people don't see me in my house. Okay, so money management is a spiritual indicator. That tells you a whole story about what's going on. Come on, somebody, what's going on in somebody's heart. So the way we spend our stuff reveals where our, our values are. So money's a spiritual indicator. The third thing we learned that week, last week, though, is that God loves to demonstrate his power in the area of our finances. When your heart becomes loyal to God, 
When God can trust you and you start to have a financial plan that is laid out according to God's principles, God will trust you with more and he'll show up and you will be in awe of God's power in your life. We learned that the eyes of the Lord are searching all over the whole earth to find those whose hearts are fully loyal to him. And he loves to show himself strong in your life. But why would he bless you with more and get involved in your situation if you can't manage what he has already given you? Now, Nehemiah laid out that incredible story for us today, the principle of having a devoted heart, but then the principle of having a plan. Now, his plan involved building a physical wall, and we're talking about building a financial wall. So if I'm thinking about, okay, where can I find the practical, the the most strategic information to give to all of you about what you can do to build a financial wall, I think about what Paul said uh, to the church in the Philippian church in in the book of Philippians chapter 4. Paul is so strategic, and what he has to say, I think, is so critical to where you and I live right now. He gives two principles in this short little passage for how you plan for stability in your financial life. If you'll look at chapter 4 of Philippians in verse 10, there's a little scripture, a short, about three verses, where I think Paul gives to us two, just two, two-point sermon, that's it, uh, critical steps to planning for stability. Here they are, uh, number one. Uh, Actually, let's just look at verse 10 first. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now at last your care for me has flourished again. Surely you did care, but you lacked the opportunity. That's his way of saying, um, thank you for taking care of me when I was in need. Paul's in jail writing this uh, to the Philippian church, and he's writing a thank you letter. Thank you for for, uh, caring for me. I know you couldn't at first, but then when you had opportunity, You helped me. So he's writing a thank you letter. But he writes, even though he's in jail, he says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Will you circle that last part? And this is the first point. Number one, if you want to be financially stable and you want to plan for stability, learn to be content. Learn to be content. If there is any drama in our financial situation, it's because we have not learned how to be content in our lives. We don't know how to do it. You know what contentment is? Contentment is realizing that God has given me everything that I need for my current happiness. God has given me everything I need for me to be happy, and most people don't know this. That's not where they are. They have to have more to be happy. i got to have more. They pursue more. They chase more. They work for more. They do everything to get more, and that's what's causing all of the drama. And God is looking for people who will say, hey, I am content. I'm content with what I have. Listen, if you are not happy with where you are today, having more will never satisfy you. Oh, that was just the best line right there. Wake up, everybody. Listen to me. That was, the, that was it. That was, if God has not given you, if you're not happy with what he's put in your hands today, having that next thing is not going to make you happy because you will get that and you'll need something more. Do you remember when you got the first iPod Touch and everybody was like, wow, that's so amazing. And now, like, forget that. I wish I, now I need the iPad 3. That's what I need. Or no, forget that. That's old. I need the iPad mini that's coming out. That's what I really need. See, that's what we're like. We always have to have the next thing in order to be really happy. But Paul says this, not that I speak in regard to need. I'm in jail. I don't have a lot. 
uh, thank you for giving to me, but I really don't have any needs. And our problem is, is we think we need everything. Look at somebody near you and say, you don't have to have everything. <laughs> you don't have to have it all. You don't need it all. You think you need it all, but you don't need that stuff. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having nice stuff. I'm not preaching against not having nice things. Everybody wants nice things. I like nice things. But just make sure you can afford those things, that you can pay for the things that, that you have, that you want. Our nature is just to want more. And, and it's like a fire. Like the more, you, the more it burns, the more it consumes, and the more it consumes, the greater the fire and the more it needs to, to fuel it. So, so here's the key that Paul says. I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Notice he says, I have learned to be content. You have to learn contentment. Because you weren't born content. And some things in life you don't need to learn, like lying. It just happens. You don't have to learn how to do that. It just, it's just naturally. But, but contentment, you've got to learn because, because you, you just want more. And the strategy of the enemy, and this really proves the enemy is real. He's telling you your whole life that you don't have enough to be happy. You're missing out on something. And so people leverage their futures. They get into debt, all kinds of debt. They charge away their futures because they've bought into the lie that what I, I have right now is not enough for me to be happy. That I need something more and I need something more. And so they buy more and they spend more. One more outfit to be happy. One more pair of shoes to be happy. One more purse to be happy. I thought I'd get some men excited about this little line right here. But apparently not, so I'll just go to the ladies. Not one more fishing rod, not one more power tool, not one more uh, trip to the game, not one more, you know, um, ATV, whatever it is, you know, the toys. You don't need that stuff to be happy, but you're being told a lie. That's what you need. You got to have something else, and then you'll be happy. Listen, let me plead my case here. Go back to the very first person, the, the Eve, Adam's wife, in the beginning of the Bible. And here she has the perfect environment. I mean, she's living in perfection. A God-created home for her that God showed up and, 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 and was with her every day. And God made for her a perfect husband. She could never say, I want somebody else. <laughs> there wasn't anybody else. But, but she could never, he was perfect. You know, never, never had a need in the world. Had a ready-made garden, food. I mean, she didn't have diapers to change. She didn't have uh, kids to, to wake up in the night to take care of. She didn't have homework projects that they forgot to tell her about that were due the next day. Didn't have to take any temperatures. Didn't have uh, commute drama. Didn't have to go to a job. Didn't have coworker drama. Didn't have mother-in-law drama. Didn't have father-in-law drama. Didn't have a husband to pick up for or a husband that you know cared about what his mother thought more than than her. Didn't have uh, didn't have any kind of issues with finances or responsibility. Had the perfect environment. And Satan comes along and says, uh, "You don't have enough. Uh, this is what you need in order to be happy." And so he convinces her that you're not happy now, really. What you need is something more. And listen to the lie. Eve, go over there and eat that thing that God told you not to have, and then you'll be happy. And listen to his same lie to you. Go ahead and buy that car that you can't afford, but that'll make you happy. And buy the house that you really can't afford, but that's really going to make you happy. And, you know, buy, buy whatever it is, because that'll make you happy. It is the same old lie 
that you need something more to be happy when really we've got to learn just how to be content. Wouldn't it be great if you could just start thanking God for the job that you do have and for the house that you do have and for the car that, God, thank you for my 1996 Honda Civic because it has wheels and it starts and it only needs gas one time a month and it has a radio and a cassette tape. I can play my cassette tapes because nowhere else to play them anymore. I'm so happy for this car. This, this, is, this is what we have to do. We have to cultivate and teach ourselves to be grateful and to be thankful. Am I getting my point across? What's the first thing? Learn to be content. Let me give you the second one that he lays out right here, verse uh, 12. He says, you have to understand the cycle of finances. Now listen, people don't know this, that life has a cycle of finances. Look what he says in verse 12. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and hungry, how to abound and suffer need. Paul says, I know how to have a lot. I know how to have a little. I know how to, have, uh, how to be in seasons of plenty. And I know how to be in seasons of lack. Money comes, money goes. People don't know this. Money comes, money goes. Over the course of your life, that's just the way that it works. And people are so shocked when money goes. But it is cyclical. It is a part of life. It's just the way that God's works. And Paul's saying, I know how to have a lot. I know how to be humble. I know how to lower myself. I know how to make do with, with less than. I know how to pack a lunch and take it to the office. You don't have to go to lunch every day with all of your coworkers. Everybody's going, come with us. I can't, have, okay, I will. And you're just spending, and, and, and you can just cut, take a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, put it on a plate, cut the crust off, cut it in four, pick it up with one finger up in the air and eat it like a deli because this is so good. You could, you could make it, you could be content. You could be happy. You could be satisfied, but instead we've got to be something that we're not. I'm worried about what other people will think. And we realize that God prospered you for a while so that you had prepared for a season of lack. People make all kinds of commitments not realizing there are seasons of sowing, seasons of reaping, days when the sun comes out and days when it doesn't come out for a while. People will make all kinds of commitments in the good seasons of life obligating every dollar that they have on monthly payments, because it's good, I can afford the monthly payment, not realizing a day is coming, and if you've spent everything that you've had, you've got no buffer and no margin. And so you don't wanna live in such a way, making decisions today, that you're going to have regrets in the future. So let me give you a couple of key applications that are just, they're not profound, they're just key lessons if you're going to live with margin. Number one, learn to live below your income and establish margin. Wow, that was good. Just learn to live before, below your income. Establish some margin. Here, here's how hard this is. Don't spend everything that comes in. Don't spend all that you make. See, that should be basic math, right? We should know that. But Christians don't know this. Christians have faith. Christians say, God will make a way somehow. Christians say, you know, I'll just pray and God will deliver me from this. And God is saying, look, hope is not a strategy here. That, that, that I will bless you, but I'm not going to give you more if you can't manage what I've already given you. So you need to spend less than what you make. And, and establish some margin in your life. And this cuts right to the heart of your contentment. 
well, how do I do that, Darren? How do, how do I build margin? Well, you realize that black shoes go with everything. That's the first thing. <laughs> that you don't need to have every, like, come on, that was funny. You don't need to have every, you don't need to have every, you know, red, black, brown shoe. I mean, you can have shoes if you can afford them and pay cash, but you can just, you can simplify that's a metaphor. You can simplify your life down. You can get rid of subscriptions that you don't even read, stuff that's coming to the house that, you know, this is the cable bill subscription. You know how big that is in your life and how much you, you are a slave to that? <laughs> the, you know, there's a problem when, you know, you're paying more, you're giving more to HBO every month than G.O.D. You just know that, right? I mean, it's just, there's a problem right there. And so, so you cut back, you eliminate unnecessary subscriptions. If, if, you are, if you're paying high interest credit cards, there's no reason for that. If you're going out to eat every single day, you're being robbed. You don't need to do that. Um, you know, there's ways that you can, you can lower. You, you know, some of you have all these pets. I'm sorry, but you have all these pets. You can't pay for all your bills, but I got all these pets, you know, which don't, don't get mad at me. I'm just helping you out here. Listen. I remember Pastor John Jenkins was here, I remember this about a year, or back in January, and he told this story of, of he had the family dog, and the dog got sick and was really sick, so he took it to the vet, and the vet comes out and says, I'm sorry, uh, Pastor Johnson, your, or, uh, Jenkins, your, your dog has uh, an aggressive form of cancer, but the good news is we can do a surgery, and I think we can save her life. And uh, he said, well, how much is the surgery? And the doctor said, $5,000. So he went home and the kid said, you know, Daddy, what did the doctor say? And he said, doctor says the dog's going to die. You know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's uh, you know, he said, I love that dog. She was special to me, but you know, no way I'm paying $5,000, you know. I'm going to get a new dog. That's what I'm going to do. You see, there are, just, there are just decisions that we can make. My point is here is that you do have opportunity to create margin in your life if you would sit down and just start to pray, God, what do you want me to do? This is the lesson from Nehemiah. God, what's my personal responsibility for the situation I'm in? And how will you create some margin? The second thing that you can do is realize that there are days that are coming of lack. That there are days coming, and so prepare for those seasons. Prepare for seasons where things turn down. They're going to happen. Don't act surprised. Prepare for those emergencies. You want to set aside a certain amount of money as quickly as possible, $2,000 to $2,500, and that's your emergency fund. And you do whatever you have to do to cut your expenses so that you can get that in place. And then once that's in place, with the margin that you've created, you start throwing that extra towards debt, and you start starting, and you keep paying off debt, and you keep building your margin until eventually you're living monthly with plenty of margin, and you're building a reserve to pay for the days that are coming when there will be seasons of downturn. I wish our country knew this lesson, but it starts with us. Let's quit shouting at the darkness when we don't even have it in our own lives. What margin can we build into our lives by the end of the year. We can start by asking ourselves this question every time we go to buy something. Do I really need it? Do I really, really need this? And then the second question, can I afford it? I mean, not how much room I have on my credit card. Can I really afford this? I mean, our credit cards are what's got us constricted. That's the, the wire around the bottom of the tree. And so we've got to get free from that consumer debt, and that's where we're heading next week. 
but what kind of margin can you build by the end of the year? You know, if your heart was, was to the place where you just simply said, God, I want what you want. I want to thrive. My heart's going to be loyal to you. My heart is wholly yours. And God, I take responsibility. And this can't stay the same. And how can I bring uh, order and bring margin into my life. I think if you would do those two things, God is gonna supernaturally show up, and in the few months that we have left before the end of the year, what margin can God build into your life? If he can build a wall around a city in 52 days, what could happen in your life when you align your heart and you align your planning with the principles of God? I'll close with just saying this. You could have everything, everything that you want. You could have the car, you could have the house of your dreams. You could have all of the jewelry, all the clothes, all the vacations you've ever wanted. You could have all of that, and you would still be empty on the inside if you didn't have Christ at the center of your life. There is a place on the inside of you that was made for God to fill. And people try to fill that with every other thing in order to be happy. But what God really wants and why he created that void inside of you was so that he could fill it. What he really wants is you. What he wants is your heart. And nothing, no thing can fill that spot except for him. So what he wants you to do is give him you, your heart. Give him your life. Because if you do that, if you'll give him your heart, and God has you, he says, I will meet all of your needs according to my riches and glory. And that's God's word to you this morning. You receive that today? All right. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to every heart uh, specifically. God, let us walk out of here with that sober sense of responsibility and a sense of vision about building margin into our lives, about being content, about living on less than what we make. And for that one who has not yet given his heart to you, may he say this today, Jesus Christ, I need you in my life. I've been playing God and I need to stop, and I want you to be my God, be my Lord, be my Savior. I surrender to you today. If that's you, just say, God, that's me. I don't even know what to do, but, but I know that I need you, and I ask you to come into my heart today. Lord, receive that person and point them on the right path. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to come pray with somebody by the end of this service today. God bless you guys. See you next time.